Betty, do you have a date? Would you like to go to the dance? Many arrangements for the prom? Such a dork. Isn't that a cute dress, Betty? Yeah. Last season. <laughs> um, hi, Betty. Uh, I, uh... WCW Mayhem! It starts in the ring. It just doesn't have to end there. everyone welcome to then now whatever the wrestling podcast episode number six i'm your host the medium-sized main duncan joyce i'm joined as ever by the biggest triple h main mark in sports entertainment kyle cambray hello nice to see you again it's nice to see you again as well yeah how you been in general doing okay actually it's that christmas feel now we're hitting mm. december so it's the money crunch I think I've got my presents sorted already, so that's that's quite good. Yes. Early bird, so there's no Christmas Eve running around. But yeah, other than that, just just working. Yeah, that's good. I think I got a few things sorted in Black Friday as well. So just last month we were at the World of Sport taping at ITV yes. Studios, which was good fun. We'll keep our lips stumped in terms of specifics and stuff, but I definitely recommend giving it a watch. It's going to be on a... I think they said either New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. It, yeah, whichever the Saturday is. Yeah. Christmas Day is the same as New Year's Day. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So Christmas Day is on a Sunday. Ah, oh, okay, so it'll probably so be New, New Year's, Year's Eve. Eve anyway. yeah. yeah. Watching things on ITV Hub. Oh, my God. State of it. It just it plays me a bunch of adverts, and it's like, you've got ad blocker turned on. Like, no, I'm not! You just let me play <laughs> yeah. a pair of adverts, for God's sake! Actually, going, just before we start, yeah. we filmed a music video with our students oh, yeah. at Bolton College, which is coming out very soon. We've done it for a, a DJ producer in London who goes by the name of Hectic, and we've created this music video for him, and it's just it's a really good way of us to be able to not only promote the college, but we can promote the artist, we can promote the dancers, and it's a two-way thing. Mm, so yeah. that's the exciting news that we did. Yeah, looking forward to that. Tremendous response to our last episode on over when Kyle became a wrestling fan. Honestly, I'm actually still shocked. There's so many people listened to that and so many people responded to say that it was a great episode. And doing the podcast, I actually I felt like I don't know, people are going to listen to this of mm-hmm. me just riling on about what I enjoyed at that time, blah blah blah. But you know, obviously, you know, you guys did so great thank you keep yeah. keep listening it's wonderful yeah once again a special thanks to lee from the rise nitro podcast we seem to have inherited quite a few listeners from him who were you know they've got a tongue in their mouth and they're not afraid to say lovely things about us which is really nice yeah so we hope you enjoy it if this is if this was your jumping on point and we hope you continue to enjoy we hope you bear with us with this next episode <laughs> well I'm, I'm not even a wcw fun and me watching this I was thinking what the hell what the hell <laughs> so we're in wrestling country the other side of the coin WCW 
back from when I was a fan. I suppose I should paint a little picture for you here. So as, as I hinted back uh, in the last episode, my awareness of wrestling started with video games. I'd see the wrestling games get reviewed and stuff, and it really, really caught my eye. It's like, wow. It's, it's like Mortal Kombat, but it's real, you know? And at the time, the big guy that was on the front of all the WWF games was Stone Cold Steve Austin. So at some point at the end of 1999, I turned my TV on, and I switched on Channel 5, and it's some wrestling, and it's this bald guy, and he's got black trunks and black boots, and he's got a go team, like, oh my god, it's Steve Austin! It's Steve Austin! I finally see Steve Austin! And then Sting came out, I'm like, wait, wait, no, that's not right. Sting's the other lot, isn't he? So it turns out it was a Goldberg versus Sting match. Huh? It was from the November 8th, 1999 episode of WCW Nitro. The time frame working back from that means that November's pay-per-view mayhem would have been the first pay-per-view to happen after I became a fan. A WCW had been airing on Channel 5 here in Britain with a WCW Worldwide show. It was 7pm Friday evenings from July 1999. Like I, re- I vividly remember adverts for it on Channel 5 and it was Hogan. He was like, yo, Channel 5, if you want to stay alive, join me, Hollywood Hogan on Worldwide. So, yeah, if there's anybody from outside of the UK, just to try and give you a sense of how big a deal this was for us, Channel 5 were the last analogue terrestrial TV station here in Britain. So it's kind of like if, say you're in America, Fox had a weekly wrestling show. It was a mix of matches from Nitro Thunder and Saturday Night, dubbed over with fresh commentary from Scott Hudson and Larry Zbysko, and it was a few weeks out of date, roughly about a month out of date. Like I vividly remember Eddie Guerrero had a match on WCW Worldwide a good week or two after he debuted for the WWF. And like, yeah. like Scott Hudson was like, look out, Cruiserweights, Eddie Guerrero's back. I'm like, well, yeah, but he's back in the WWF. What's he doing here? And one of my earliest memories, Scott Hall was the US champion and he kept on screwing Goldberg out of title shots. I had it in my head that this was the world title. So, like, when people kept on telling me Scott Hall was never a world champion, I'm like, what? Really? He, yeah, he was. He was holding <laughs> off Goldberg all the time. Like, what's, what's going on? WCW was in a crazy state at this point in time. 1998 was actually a relatively successful year for the company, all things considered. They had Goldberg rising up to become world champion. Ric Flair reformed the Four Horsemen again. and They were doing good business in general, but it was blatant that the WWF had caught up to them. See our last episode. October 25th, 1998, was WCW's Halloween Havoc pay-per-view. It was running late, and they didn't tell the pay-per-view provider that they were going to run late. So the feed cut out in the middle of a Goldberg versus Diamond Dallas Page world title match. To compensate, they aired the entire match on Nitro the next night, and that was actually the last time Nitro beat Raw in the ratings. Further damage was done with the January 4th episode of Nitro, where what was promoted as a Kevin Nash versus Goldberg World Championship match actually turned into a Kevin Nash versus Hollywood Hogan Championship match, which saw Kevin Nash lay down for Hogan to reunite the New World Order in the infamous finger poke of Doom incident. That was also the same night as Tony Schiavone's infamous huh, I will put butts on the seats comment over Mick Foley's world title win that he'd spoiled from a pre-taped Raw that they were up against. 
So by 1999, WCW was seen as a company in creative turmoil. Eventually, numerous factors came into play, including an obsession with Kiss and a proposal to give away $1 million on the air. And lo and behold, Executive Vice President Eric Bischoff was eventually fired on September 10th, 1999. His replacement? Two writers from the WWF, Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara. So around about August 1999, the WWF had committed to do SmackDown as a weekly show for UPM. Vince and Ed cited specifically that their workload had doubled, but they weren't getting any more financial compensation for that. So they went to WCW where they got more money. This is only the second pay-per-view they were in charge of, but my God, did they already leave an indelible impression on this company. Just going back to WCW in general, what have you been particularly enjoying going back in hindsight? I've always been a big fan of Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn, the, mm. the radicals, in, radicals in essence. Yeah. The Filthy Animals, was it? Eddie Guerrero, yeah. Billy Kidman, and they, they feuded with Malenko and, and Saturn. Mm. And, you know, those matches were great because Dean Malenko and Eddie at the time were great with their technical ability and in-ring presence. And then, you know, add Jericho to the mix as well. These are all superstars that at the time you probably wouldn't have thought would be in WWF, but once they got to WWF, you kind of thought, well, they deserve to be here. See, Sting, Sting's always been a cool one for me. He, he was very much the outlaw, wasn't he? With him going heel towards the end, I'm not sure that was the right idea. But yeah, going back, watching WCW, it, it was all right. Yeah. I'm always going to have a, a soft spot for WWF. On the whole, it's it's like watching a better TNA. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't like TNA. Even as an initial viewer, I could tell this wasn't as good as yeah. for WWF. You know, Little things like people's finishing moves, I didn't think they were quite as good as the WWF ones. Booker T was a big favourite of mine. There were things that were doing to him that... It kind of looked like they were trying to mould him into a rock kind of figure. Like, they gave him the same haircut, they put him in fancy clothes, they gave him the rock bottom. Yeah. God's sake. I always have this sort of rose-tinted vision with a lot of what I first encountered with in WCW. Like, Sid. Everyone was like, oh, Sid was your world champion in that company, what a joke. Sid's awesome, I love Sid. Filthy animals, as you say. I have a lot of happy memories of them. Like, Ray without a mask. Yeah, that's crazy to think that, as a Mexican wrestler, how much the mask means. Mm. Going back with some of the interviews that you can see on YouTube, Ray Mysterio point-blank says that, I refuse to do that. You know, I refuse to get rid of my mask. But it was getting rid of a mask or, you know, having a job, kind of. It was that that sort of situation that he was put in at WCW. And he name-checked a few other wrestlers who lost them their mask and it wasn't even the end of a feud so it wasn't even a culmination of this build-up oh yeah it was kind of halfway through a feud which kind of was a kick in the nuts anyway psychosis and Huvin two guerrero or yeah. like that as well yeah i was listening to the new generation project podcast actually they were covering halloween havoc 1997 eddie and ray were having a mask versus title match then and even back then, Eric Bishop wanted him to lose the mask. Ray said, no, I won't do it. And there was like this Mexican, Mexican standoff. <laughs> Unplanned. Oh, boy. 
Yeah, and he got the, the lawyers came in and they sort of compromised in the end, but yeah. he wound up losing it about a year and a half later anyway. Hmm. So it's really weird, like when Ray came into the WWE and he had his mask back on, I was like, because like they built him as just Ray Mysterio as well, and he like he was Ray still Ray Mysterio Junior in WCW, and like yeah. they brought his dad in. That's that's not the Ray Mysterio I remember. I'm sure they touched on it when he first came. Because when he left WCW, he went back to Mexico to rejuvenate. So in, in essence, if we wanted to look at a story, we could say that he went back to Mexico, created his mask again, and then came back, dropped the junior. I, I know where you're coming from. Yeah. That leads us into this show. November the 21st, 1999. It's WCW Mayhem, presented by Electronic Arts, who actually brought out a game of the same title. Originally, WCW's November pay-per-views were the free ring World War Three events. I'm guessing they went away from that for a budgetary thing, so they don't have to haul free rings with them or have less seats in the arena. Yeah. Right, so spoilers, they lost money. How much money do you think WCW lost in 1999? An incredible amount. At least 50. Turner's still bankrolling all this, and he's like, what level on Trump in money wise mm-hmm. in essence it's got to be that sort of money because he, he's going to have been losing every not just every month but every week every day well you're sort of close but just a year out in 1999 it was on, only 15 million which was still the largest recorded loss of any North American wrestling company as far as I'm aware up to that point and they were only bettered by WCW in 2000, which lost something like 62 million. Wow. Which was why they're like, okay, sell this thing. Do you think that some of that is to do with the booking? WWE and WWF were always going to be popular, regardless of how they booked people, because we've said on this podcast plenty of times before that there's times that they've not booked people, you know, yeah. right. But they've still got the popularity there. They would still tune in each week. Do you think that WCW got it wrong so many times that that was the reason that people just didn't tune in? There's a definite correlation between when creatively they dipped and financially they dipped as well. Yeah. So that especially in like the upper card, they were always wash, rinsing, and repeat the same old people over and over again. Like mid 1999, they're like, oh, okay. We've got Kevin Nash as champion. He's not working out. Who should we get to replace him? Oh, the Macho Man. He's not been champion for uh, three years or so. Let's put him back. And then they made Macho Man champion just so he could lose to Hogan. So Hogan's the new champion. It's just the same old cogs in the machine again and again, and nothing really changes. And then with the, the treatment of the people underneath them, there's some good wrestlers here. But they're totally let down by their creative direction, and it really, really hurts their upward mobility in terms of the public side, yeah. I think. Yeah. From the Air Canada Centre in Toronto, Canada, 13,839 in attendance. The backdrop to this show is this big 32-person tournament for the vacated WCW world title. The previous month at Halloween Havoc, Sting was due to defend against Hulk Hogan, but Hogan laid out for Sting, walked out, so then Sting and Goldberg had an impromptu title match, which Goldberg won, but then they overturned the decision because it wasn't an officially sanctioned title match. So 
they struck Goldberg's reign for the record. Yeah. And then James J. Dillon stripped Sting of the world title because he assaulted an official in the same match. So they vacated the championship and put up this insane tournament. First things first, if you've not read The Death of WCW by Brian Alvarez and some other guy, (laughs) (laughs) please go and read their section on this tournament. It is well worth your time. To go through it in full would just take too much time. So I'm going to post the brackets, the full brackets up on the blog and run through the matches there. In the intro to this show, we did get a little highlights package running down some of the significant moments of this tournament going into the pay-per-view that was narrated by Tony Schiavone. So I'll just go through a few things that I picked up from this here. Lots of complaints about this tournament were that people who were originally eliminated got let back in and random matches in random brackets were given stipulations, whereas others were just playing wrestling matches. In the first round, David fucking Flair assaulted Diamond Dallas Page with a crowbar, and he was injured, couldn't continue in the tournament. Chris Benoit beat Dean Malenko in a cage match. A cage! Why, why is that a cage match and all the others are regular matches? Yeah. Medusa, she had a match with Meng and lost. But then they gave her another first round match against Evan Courageous, which she won. And Sting squashed Brian Knobs as well. There was a flub in Tony's rundown of the second round here because he included a first round match between Hall and Sid in the second round rundown. So Scott Hall's name appeared twice. Yeah. I'm like, what? His genuine second round match, he beat Lash LaRue. Brian Knobs helped Billy Kidman beat Norman Smiley in a hardcore match. Again, why is it a hardcore match? Creative Control helped Jeff Jarrett beat Kurt Hanning by count out. That will be important later on. And Meng and Page were injured, so Lex Luger and Sting got buys into the next round. That next round, the third round, saw Bret Hart beat Billy Kidman, Jeff Jarrett beat Buff Wagwell, Chris Benoit beat Scott Hall, and Sting beat the total package. So that leaves us with our final four for the evening. It's down to Sting... It's showtime! Bret Hart, who gave a very sort of generic, oh, yo, I'll do my best, I'm going to prove my moniker, I'm the best there is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Chris Benoit, who promises, you'll feel the wrath of what silent but violent is all about. If you are talking about how you are silent but violent, you are not silent. And... Jeff Jarrett, I am the chosen one. I'm the one with all the stroke. <laughs> that gave me a bit of headache looking at that video package. It's crazy. I understand you want to do a tournament, and I understand that the pinnacle of the tournament pyramid, you've got your champion. But to have 32 people just makes it ridiculous and confusing at times just too much going on at once yeah going in who are you most you know behind Benoit Benoit yeah again just because I'd seen him in WWF obviously I liked Benoit yeah it's a shame with you know everything that happened but big fan of him like his technical ability and he was just just really good to watch and out of the four because I I had no idea what 
the results were watching this pay-per-view because yeah. sometimes when we go back watching pay-per-views we already know the results because we've yeah, seen them before yeah. but this it was a complete blank slate for me so i i went into this pay-per-view thinking right who could win this who who do i want to win this and my choice was ben war yeah i think he would have had a lot of the popular support back then as well because yeah. he he's another one of those guys that had been so sound in the undercard with lots of different people and this looked like his point to go and break that glass ceiling i, w- I was going to ask when we get to his matches but i might as well ask now like how do you feel about going back and watching benoit in hindsight knowing what transpired in his career and his life i don't find that there's a problem going back in a sense it's two people so you've got your chris benoit the wrestler you've got the chris benoit that you watch on raw smackdown nitro and then you've got Chris Benoit who did what he did. Yeah. Fair enough, I understand Vince on the network, he's taken out the skip cards, so you can't skip to Benoit's matches, you've got to watch the whole thing to get to Benoit. Fair enough, that's you know, that's fine. But at least we've got Benoit to watch and to enjoy his technical ability and to enjoy Chris Benoit's as he was as a wrestler. Yeah, I see your point how he he's built up this body of work for at the time was greatly admired and in some ways still should be. But I think, you know, you say it's two different people. I think the trouble some people have is they can't quite have that disconnect because a lot of the reasoning behind what he did seems to have come from these gradual injuries and his concussions and stuff yeah. through working the way he did in the ring. So, you know, that's probably why some people find it hard to, to watch him wrestle. Yeah. I mean, I... I'm okay, really. I can sort of take myself out of it. There's very rare moments where, like, certain times he applies a cross face and it's, like, more of a choke. That that gets a bit grim for me. And, you know, some things, like... Like, some of the material that comes up, it's just a bit, oh, well, that's a bit awkward in hindsight. But I'm I'm generally okay. With us, we, we were around at the time to see him wrestle whilst he was alive, so... yeah. It's a lot easier for us to associate him with the way he was at the time rather than, you know, how, how things wound up. Yeah, yeah, good point. Our commentary team tonight are Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan. And they run through the card, as well as Tony mentioning the fact that this is WCW's first ever pay-per-view in Canada. Tony mentioned the six-person intergender tag and Brain couldn't think of anything to say, so he's just like, I'm just thinking of Tory Wilson. <laughs> and then he traces a R-shape with his hands. Did you notice behind the commentators, the thumbs up, thumbs down guy? While they were talking, there's a guy that's doing a thumbs up behind Bobby Heenan and then going, thumbs down. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up, thumbs down. As they were talking. That was quite funny to watch. Wow. There's another commentator fan section coming up later on in the show. Oh, yeah, and then Tony mentions the US title match and Brain still couldn't think of anything to say, so I'm still thinking of Tory <laughs> I've got a lot of notes on their commentary coming up. There's a lot of disingenuous stuff. Our opening contest of the evening is the semi-final match in the WCW World Championship Tournament, which sees Jeff Jarrett take on Chris Benoit. I was so disappointed that Jarrett didn't have his rip-off Kid Rock theme. I loved that theme as a kid. 
I'm guessing it was overdubbed by the network because they don't want to pay Jimmy Hart any money. Yeah. Chris Benoit was sporting a nice little mini mullet. Always good to see the the old hairstyles that yeah. they had. I noticed that as soon as they jump ship, the hairstyles go modern. Eddie had the Beatles bold cut, didn't he? Yeah. It must be one of the first things that Vince says. is like, sort your hair out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like your hair. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett had just jumped from the WWF. I mean, I don't know. What do you make of Jarrett's circumstances? I didn't like Jarrett in WWF. So for me, I was like, well, it's fine. I'm, I'm not going to miss you as a viewer. Mm. I mean, you know, other people may have liked his style of wrestling and may have liked him. But for me, it was like, yeah, go to WCW if you want to. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely fine. I, like, enjoyed him at the time. But the thing that threw me was my first wrestling game that I ever got was WrestleMania 2000. Yes. And he was in that. Yeah. And he wasn't really important or anything. He was, like, way, way down the, the list, the roster. So then seeing him, like, as world champion level in WCW, I'm like, yeah, you're really at that level, really. Yeah. I'm not sure whether it's really true, but I heard that he got like a guaranteed world title run in his contract when he was negotiating with WCW. Mm. So that's what this whole chosen one gimmick is. Vince Russo loves him and he's going to make him world champion someday. Very Brock Lesnar-esque in his second run. I come back, I've got a world title in my contract. What are you going to do about it, brother? (laughs) But yeah, Jeff Jarrett to me... He's this guy that's always had it in his head that he's a top-level main event guy. Oh, you don't think I'm a top-level guy? I'll make a whole company and make myself a top guy in that company, you know? Yeah. When I first came across TNA, like, round about 2005, when I heard Matt Hardy might go, I was reading over Jeff Jarrett's biography on the site, and it was like, he's got the Matt skills to ground all of the young X-Division guys. I'm like, hold on, hold on. There was this other section of the site where you're talking up these X-Division guys. Oh, they do these amazing things in the ring. You're not going to believe it. And then you're pushing your world championship guy as being the man that makes all of their matches boring. Come on. Anyway, the early goings of this, really, really good. Benoit gets a great flurry of offence, including a Tornado DDT. Lots of near falls. There's a decent-looking sunset flip roll through before... Jarrett hooks the Glade sleeper hold. Every match, Jarrett does a sleeper hold and he does this like grunty thing like, Glade! <laughs> Brain puts over Benoit's attempts to turn his body around so he doesn't feel the full pressure of, of the sleeper. That was quite good. Benoit counters with a sleeper of his own that Jeff Jarrett jawbreakers out of, only to then eat a really weird looking Uranagi backbreaker, kind of like Seamus's. Yeah. And he scores with the triple German suplexes. Oh boy, here come the Harris brothers, known as Creative Control here. Tony quips, this is unfortunate. Benoit scores with a flying headbutt, but one of the Harris brothers pulls him off of the cover. Jarrett then hits the stroke, but then Dustin Rhodes comes out to interfere and pull him off the cover. See, when I was watching this, I obviously didn't realise it he went by the name of Dustin Rhodes. Dustin Rhodes so yes. in my notes I've got Gold Dust <laughs> because I you know but Dustin Rhodes yes. Yeah. Quick question for you. Yes. Creative control. Who were they? They Did were... they run WCW storyline wise or No, they were heavy men for the people who run WCW. The storyline people running the company who were known as the powers that be. Okay. 
it was essentially just the disembodied voice of Vince Russo. Oh, right, okay. So there's skits coming up where... They're in the room, aren't they, with yeah, the table? and he's talking off screen. And right. I swear to God, bro, you go out, you do that job now. Yep, okay. So, the other twin and Jarrett try to whack Benoit with the guitar in the distraction, but he escapes and he whacks Jarrett with the guitar. Yeah, they're drawing a dime. And he rolls him up for the free to win in 9 minutes 27 and advance to the tournament finals. Keeping count here, Vince Russo loved run-ins... So there were three people that run in this match, both of Creative Control and Dustin Rhodes. We then get Benoit beaten up post-match by Creative Control and Jarrett, and he rams the neck of the guitar into his throat. Yeah, what were your impressions on this match? Quite enjoyed the match. I mean, you know, I was very sceptical going into it because you hyped it up as this weird and wacky pay-per-view. <laughs> But yeah, it started off well. I'm a big fan of interferences. It's just doing it often. It kind of takes away the emphasis of of an interference. But yeah, it was it was good to see Dustin Rhodes. That was a nice surprise. I completely forgot that obviously he went to WCW. Mm. One thing that I noticed right at the very end, when Creative Control were leaving, you know the security guards that they they have, which are like training wrestlers or actors, aren't they? Oh right, yeah. They are the worst security guards I've ever seen. They were pushing away creative control and the two of the security guards must have just forgot what they were doing because they, they stopped getting hold of creative control and carried on walking and they had their hands out and creative control were behind them and they just kept walking as though they were pushing creative control out and there was nobody there. <laughs> I was like, oh my word. At least go back for them. Oh man. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the match. It was, it was a good match. Yeah, it was a very good match. Again, I really enjoyed this. The work rate together was really good, and it was never dull. Some nice exchanges here. Yeah. Backstage, Mike Tanay interviews the Cruiserweight champion. It's for Disco Inferno! Yes! <laughs> Disco Fever! Right, I couldn't follow this properly. They kind of make out he's put $25,000 on the line on top of his title. Yeah, I was trying to work out this story. Because then when Evan comes out, they mention it again, oh, he could win 25000 But the way that they describe it later on, it, they kind of cross wires. So I'm, I'm confused who's got 25000 and what was it about? Yeah, so like, <laughs> coming off this interview, it sounded like it was Disco Inferno's money to put on the line. Yeah. But like when I was going back and watching some of the old shows, the story was that the Disco Inferno had these debts to the Mafia, so he owed that money, so he was looking for a way to earn it. Yeah. So it was just a generic $25,000 on the line in the match. Yeah. I don't know how he wrangled that into his contract. Wow. Iron Mike speculates that the money might be more important to him than the title, and Disco accuses him of disrespecting the belt. But then he gets assaulted from behind by Jeff Jarrett and Creative Control. Did they ever feud or anything or no, was it I think just, it was just random just selling frustration at the loss I guess and Disco was there like I hate you Inferno it's one of, one of them random interferences that you got in the original Smackdown game whenever you got to a cutscene like you would get China that would put a beat down on Big Show and you'd be like <laughs> what the hell is this game doing Wrestlemania 2000 each wrestler would have like a top 5 rivalries thing and if you had interference on in the matches it tend to be one of those five that come out. Yeah. I still turn it off because it's so fucking annoying. <laughs> so apparently this match is next. 
WCW Cruiserweight Championship and $25,000 match. The champion Disco Inferno, accompanied by Tony Marinara. <laughs> defending against Evan Courageous, who's accompanied by Medusa. What a meatball. <laughs> <laughs> ECW fans might know Tony Marinara as Tony Mama Luke. Mm-hmm. And early 90s WWF fans will probably know Medusa as Lundra Blaze. Yep. Hall of Famer. Red flag immediately. Why isn't the second semi-final world title match next? I'm sure don't they touch on that in the Jarrett Benoit match, and they say something something about they flipped a coin or something. Right. And Jarrett made sure that his match was first because then he if he progressed, he would have longer to rest. Recover. Oh, okay. But yeah, again, you would think that logistics anyway. You would just have them. Immediately, yeah. Because yeah. Jarrett's advantage would still work in that case anyway. Because, yeah. you know, you're first on, it's like, what? Sting and Bret Hart wrestle for, like, nine, ten minutes. Mm. He'd have that extra time to recover still. Yeah. Disco's got a mirror ball in his entrance. I loved it. I love the cheesy music. I love these really, really crap WCW wrestlers <laughs> like this. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tony Marinara conjoles him out to the ring, even though he's kind of hurt. And Evan Pearl harbors him in the rampway. This match, there'd be a decently hit move and there'd be a botched move. It happened all over again. Disco was getting counted in a half Nelson roll-up, even though his shoulder was up. Marinara is on the commentary booth with Brain and Heenan. Look at my watch. <laughs> yeah. My watch. He sounded like Vince Russo. He's like, ah, I'm not here to worry about your little wrestling mask. <laughs> Fucking cheers. <laughs> Woeful hip toss by Evan. Disco hits a really crap counter to a head scissors and rubbish atomic drop. He's got eyes for Medusa. Marinara quips, I got about a buck and a quarter. Ah, forget about it. There's a nice jumping reverse elbow by Disco, which Tony calls a glancing blow. And he blows a kiss to Medusa, but gets drop kicked out of midair. Disco got the knees up from a splash and fans start chanting boring. He then stares at Medusa's tits, but then she slaps him. And I wondered here, where's the disqualification? Yeah. Disco tries a sneak attack with a chair. In plain sight of the referee. The referee's perfectly grand with it. Oh, you got a chair, okay. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's only alright because he misses his target. Yes, yes. He hits Tony by accident. But that's not in the match. That is a textbook chair reversal. And I knew that it was going to happen. You could see he's going to duck, he's going to duck. Yeah. Evan then hits a springboard crossbody back inside to get the free at 8 minutes and 28 seconds to win his first Cruiserweight Championship and $25,000. Yeah, this match, flashes of competence, marred with massive, massive rough, rough patches. This is a far cry from these trademark flagship Cruiserweight matches of WCW from earlier on in the 90s yeah. like when it was Malenko and Mysterio and Ultimo Dragon and things like that why did you make it this much? I wasn't a fan of Evan Courageous I just thought he was really sloppy the first two three minutes the moves that he did they kind of put Disco Inferno in a bit of a, a weird situation the drop kick and the, then the power bomb they were like half half cocked so he could have easily done some damage there and it just felt like he was rushed and it kind of just ruined the whole flow of the match. The crowd really didn't get into the match, did they? With the boring chance. Mm. And, again, 
no clean pinfall. No, yeah, interference again, man. That's two matches in a row. Yep. Evan Courageous, yeah. I'd only get interested in him when he became one third of the greatest gimmick in WCW history. Sing along with free count. Oh dear. <laughs> Did you see what I mean about yeah. these really, really shitty WCW yeah. gimmicks that just stick in your memory? Yeah. All three are free count of my boys. <laughs> so just have much fonder memories of them <laughs> than I really should. Backstage, we get a clip of Bret Hart arriving at the arena. I assume this was an inside joke of his lack of punctuality. And Jeff Jarrett is talking with the powers that be. And they tell him he blew it. You have until the rest of the night to prove yourself or all of the favours end. Mean Gene Oakland is interviewing Screaming Norman Smiley. Get in! He's one of the NXT development team which is a far cry from what he's done in this pay-per-view because I have to say it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. <laughs> he's sucking up to the crowd in a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey and he's all prepped up in hockey gear ready for his hardcore match because he's the consummate hardcore athlete. Something falls in the background and he screams out of nerves. But then he claims... The hardcore warrior in me is ready to explode in me tonight. Woo! This brings us on to our third match for the newly minted WCW Hardcore Championship. Brian Nobbs of Jimmy Hart's first family, accompanied by Jimmy Hart, takes on Norman Smiley. A lot of what Russo did in WCW was, well, it worked in the WWF. Let's just do it again in WCW. The hardcore division, very popular in WWF. Let's put one in WCW as well. Hmm. This is a newly founded title, but they didn't hold like a tournament, like the world title. Just like, uh, let's put these two lads together and see yeah. what happens. I was always a big fan of the hardcore title because there was some great hardcore matches. And it's just a shame that we, I don't think we will ever get, you know, hardcore again in the sense that we saw. I think it's in this promotion called DDT Pro in Japan. They have this championship called the Iron Man Championship, and that's a championship that's defended 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, Joey Ryan, the penis suplex guy. Yeah. He's held that title for a lot of its, you know, existence, from what I can gather. And there's always lots of little fun clips of him on on YouTube and Twitter losing to someone new. Yeah, that's cool. Oh yes, Dean Ambrose. I hope you watch this show. Brian Nobbs remembered his weapons trolley. So, yeah. you know, he could have done that with that against Brock Lesnar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just twats Norman with weapons and he screams. Tony, immediately with a line here about Smiley having had no offense here. None at all. And this is like 30 seconds into the match. Like, give him a chance, like. Norman puts a trash can on his head and hits him with a hockey stick and then pretends to bum him and spank him. Just before that, there's like a two minute section there where Brian Nobbs is on the floor he's just about to get up Norman Smiley stood in front of him Jimmy Hart decides to throw a trash can into the ring okay it's impossible if he was ever trying to throw that trash can to Brian Nobbs to give him an advantage Mm. because Brian Nobbs can't pick it up he's on the floor so the commentators then go oh 
Norman Smiley gets the trash can off Brian Knobs. It was never going to Brian Knobs. No. It's like, oh, at least wait for him to get up so then Norman catches it instead. And then we get to the spanking. What was that about? This, this is the old attitude era things of offensive manoeuvres that aren't offensive manoeuvres. Like this was called the big wiggle. Oh. Brain quips. This is WCW. It doesn't get any better. Yeah, I think it does. <laughs> I hope it does. <laughs> Lots of walking and brawling to the backstage area. We then get this really awesome spot to finish where they charge into a lift and the doors close behind them before Jimmy Hart, in pursuit with a trash can, can hit them. So then Jimmy's waiting for the door to reopen. And then in haste, he accidentally hits knobs with the trash can and Smiley covers for free. So your inaugural... WCW Hardcore Champion is Norman Smiley after 7 minutes and 27 seconds of walking and brawling, basically. Brian Nobbs immediately gets his heat back, attacking Norman and Jimmy Hart as well. I had a bit of fun with, like, Smiley's screaming gimmick and the lift spot at the end, but, yeah, this is just pretty dull. Just let's hit everybody with weapons just to fill out the match, really. It was a complete no-contest Unless something was going to happen, you know, big style, Brian Nobbs was going to win. They needed that ending if they were going to put Norman Smiley over. Up next, we have a video package for the Revolution versus the Filthy Animals feud. (laughs) Right, there's at some point in this package where Conan has this ridiculous visor and hat combination. So the storyline here is Aisha, who's a member of the Revolution, another tough female who's getting put on equal footing with the men. As you can probably tell from her name, so, oh, China was successful in the WWF. Let's have a kick-ass female again. Asia kidnaps Tori Wilson, the girlfriend, real life, and in the storyline of Billy Kidman. Yep. And they put her in a cage. A cage! Perry Saturn and Eddie Guerrero have a key on the pole match. This is another of Russo's favourite <laughs> things. Put something on a pole... Eddie won it with an impressive leap off the top rope to grab the key. That, that was impressive. That was really good. Then we see clips of the Revolution handcuffing the animals to this weird roofed steel cage. Yeah, it was like half half cocked the hell in a cell. They batter and injure Rey Mysterio's knee. This is another favourite trope of Vince Russo. Sort of this gang warfare. So you got two factions warring against each other. They're going to collide. I like the whole gang warfare thing. The corporation, DX, that sort of thing. We don't see that often now. Do we really? They, they tried having the League of Nations, but then... That didn't Just work. Roman steamrolled over them. Yeah. I mean, the, probably the biggest at the moment is New Day, but I wouldn't even class them as a, a faction, really. They're just best buddies that want to wrestle. Mm. Yeah, it'd be nice to bring, like, a S.H.I.E.L.D.-esque... They were the, I think they were probably the last faction that was worth something anyway. I mean, yeah, I get where you're coming from here. So, like, with New Day, they're just primarily focused on the tag team stuff. Yeah. Whereas, like, for, for me, a faction, they kind of spread to different parts of the show. So, like, yeah. when you have the Shield, Ambrose was the US champion and Seth and Rowan were the tag champions. Yeah. Typically, you, you could get them appearing multiple times on the show doing different stuff. Mm. Like Evolution, another example. Yes, yeah. 
Today asks for revolution backstage. What if Asia was left three on one? But Douglas turns it around and asks, what if Tori was left alone with any of them? And then Saturn in a really Swiss <laughs> get-up. <laughs> I had to screenshot this from the blog as soon as I saw it. I was like, oh my god. What is that hat? <laughs> Perry Hatton. No. <laughs> he turns this what-if thing around into, what if the dinosaurs were still around? Yes. <laughs> that kind of segues into they're going to make the animals extinct. Then Mean Gene interviews the filthy animals. Conan lets him feel his fuzzy hat. Kidman claims Tori will bust their balls if she gets into serious trouble. And you, oh yeah, use them as a toothpick. As a toothpick? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's what it says. <laughs> I'm thinking to chisel them down so they can fit between the teeth. <laughs> Oh man! Honestly, we we'll watch it back. Oh, he says about to. he says about a toothpick. Because I watched it and went, "What?" <laughs> In the locker room, Disco is apologising to Tony Marinaro, and he's reeling off all his excuses. And <laughs> it made me laugh with one of the last ones. Like, oh, Medusa was hitting on me. I couldn't get away from her. Like, yeah, mate. <laughs> Tony claims tomorrow I'm bringing the boys. And then we see Jeff Jarrett walking around with a 2 by 4 There's so many skits that cram in all the time. It's yeah. just like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Do you need all of this stuff? It's like they've got a cameraman walking around with every and, wrestler. Yeah. Right, we're live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're alive. We're in the run-up to this Filthy Animals Revolution match. So you interview both teams, fine. Then you have Disco Inferno again, putting over all... Oh, what's going to happen tomorrow night. And then you have a clip of Jarrett. We don't need a clip of Jarrett. You already established that, you know, he, he he's out to prove himself to yeah. the powers that be. Oh. This all leads us on to our fourth match of the night, eventually. It's a six-person intergender elimination tag team match. Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko and Asia, representing the revolution, accompanied by Shane Douglas... And Eddie Guerrero, Billy Kidman, and Tori Wilson representing the Filthy Animals, accompanied by Conan. So in their interview, the Revolution were in street clothes, and now they're changed into the ring gear awful quick. All ready to roll. Yeah. Shane Douglas joins commentary. Kidman and Eddie kick things off, double flapjacking Saturn after Kidman hits a jumping nothing. He just, like, leaps in the air yeah. and then doesn't hit Perry with anything. Dean and Eddie tumble over the top rope, and... Was there a boring chant already? Yeah. God almighty, give him a chance! I noticed that throughout this pay-per-view there's quite a lot of boring chants. Yeah. There was a few of them that I was kind of thinking, what was the boring chant for? I'm It's all right, this. Like, they literally had to wait six seconds, and Perry started hit this awesome assay moonsault to the outside. Mm-hmm. Some ICP-looking dude in the crowd gets cocky with Dean Malenko and gets ejected. What do you think about that? Was there any focus on that afterwards, or was that a general thing of, you know, security had to take him away? There's a spot coming up later in the night, which I think is what they were intending to play it into, Yeah. which we'll discuss, but yeah. It just seemed weird. Because at first I thought, oh, it's another interference here. Mm. And then when security came and dragged him away, I'm thinking... 
I don't get that. I don't... This is another of Vince Russo's favourite things. Is it the work or is it the shoot, bro? <laughs> this is hurting my head. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to remember not to work yourself into a shoot. That's, that's, yeah. the, that's the thing. Tori winds up holding her ankle after being attacked by Aisha and Eddie goes to check on her and pushes Kidman away when he goes to check on her as well. Why? It's dissension for the sake of dissension. Yeah. And that allows Dean to roll up Kidman for free. So Kidman's eliminated from the match. Dean's total world backbreaker holds Eddie in place for a top rope knee drop by Saturn. Douglas calls it on commentary, the guillotine leg drop. Jesus. Dean eats a hurricanrana by Eddie and gets eliminated. Saturn and Asia bugger up a double team. So Saturn eats a super kick. And Eddie gets the frog splash on Asia to eliminate her. Eddie then jaw breakers out of Perry Saturn's sleeper, just like in the opening match. Yeah. How many sleepers were there tonight? An incredible amount. There were more sleepers than people, you know. We won't go that far. <laughs> well, you never know the amount of boring chance. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie drop kicks Saturn's springboard out of midair. Right, so Eddie hit the tornado DDT. As Saturn was getting covered, Douglas was yelling, Kick! Kick! Pleading with Saturn to kick out. Imagine if you were like imploring someone to come on. You would yeah. out, Come! Come! <laughs> Shane goes ballistic when Eddie kicks out of Perry's Death Valley driver. And then Saturn misses his top rope elbow. Eddie kind of asks for a tag from Tori and then realises how stupid that would be. And then he hooks a Hurricane Rana for another near fall. That was really good because that played into how yeah. he eliminated Milenko earlier. But unfortunately, Perry rolls through a crossbody and hooks Eddie in the rings of Saturn to get the tap out. So Tori Wilson is left all alone. But she busts some balls. Mule kick right in front of the ref. Again, where's the DQ? Yep. It gets a near fall, but then Shane Douglas distracts somebody... And that allows Perry to low blow Tori Wilson. And I don't, I don't get this. <laughs> At what point does Perry Saturn think that low blowing Tori Wilson is an advantage? This is another thing that Russo did a lot of. Oh yeah, women feel low blows as well. That gets them the win. So the Revolution win after ten minutes and fifty five seconds. What did you think of this match? There was a bit right at the very beginning that it seemed like Eddie messed up. Because, you know, Billy and Eddie, they run off right at the beginning down the ramp. Yeah. And they run into the ring. But there's only Billy that gets into the ring and he can't start fighting until Eddie gets there. And Eddie must have got stuck on the, the ring apron. Oh, okay. And so then Eddie slides in and then they both they go for the attack. And I, no I noticed that straight away. I, I enjoyed the match. When Eddie and Dean had their little section, that was brilliant. You know, there was loads of little flips and little, you know, holds that they, they kept each other moving. That was really good. I quite like Perry Saturn, you know. I've got yeah. a soft spot for Perry Saturn. I wasn't a fan of him when he came over as the Radicals. But, yeah, the, the few WCW matches that I've watched, you know, he's he's got a good mm -hmm. ability. And he's kind of one that you, you miss, don't you? When you think of all the, the wrestlers, Perry Saturn's never one that pops to mind. But yeah, it's a strong match. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought this was decent stuff. But 
it's just let a bit down by the storyline nonsense like yeah. oh Eddie and Billy are fighting and you know all that kind of stuff yeah like you picked out Eddie and Dean I thought my favourite spell was when Eddie and Perry were together this is a typical example of guys with a will to do well in the ring being let down by outside circumstances for me. yeah Within seconds, they TNA the shit out of this. They cut immediately backstage to Jeff Jarrett and Creative Control, and they're beating up Buff Bagwell. Buff Bagwell was not well-liked by Creative Control. He went off-script, refused to do what Creative Control told him to do. He's like, there you go, I did the job for you. Are you happy now? Something like that. Oh, right. Dire, dire storyline. At this point, Bobby Heenan goes, This is the greatest pay per view I've ever been on. Do you see what I mean about disingenuous yeah. brain commentary? Oh, this puts us about a third of the way through. It's thoroughly exhausting, God. So it's time for the first trimester question time. Okay, the other nap, I started craving something or other. So then I thought about, okay. Have you got any like wrestling cravings? Like any kind of matches or events that you turn to when you're like, oh, you know what, I fancy that. Yeah, if I'm on the network and I've got, you know, I want to watch something and I want to watch something entertaining, I always go to the draft. Mm. Like it doesn't matter what year, just the the raw where it's it's the draft, and it was normally after Mania, and they're always great. The one that I always like is, uh, I'm sure it's the first one. Vince picks Taker and he just goes berserk. Oh, the, and what Flair picks him, sorry. Oh, uh, Flair, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he just goes berserk. My number one draft pick for WWF Raw is The Undertaker. The, the Undertaker? Taker? Is he crazy? Rick Flair has just picked The Thank Undertaker. He, look at this! Are we hearing this correctly? No way. Flair, Flair's lost his mind. Oh. Oh. What is this crap? You told me that this wouldn't happen. Did you or did you not tell me Flair would not pick me? I told you. And um, Vince has Kurt Angle in his office helping him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you didn't pick me first. I cannot believe you didn't pick me first. I'm an Olympic gold medalist. I'm the best you have. Kurt, I know who the hell you are. And it, it's just brilliant. It never gets old watching that. I think for me, a lot of 2000 WCW, yeah. anything where it's like, okay, I, I remember stuff from being a kid and I know there's some crazy stuff and it's kind of like so car crash, it, it turns around again and you really want to watch it. Yeah. 2000 WWF as well, to be fair. That was their best year on pay-per-view, too. The year of Triple H. Triple <laughs> H. We had to get him in somewhere. I mean, when, you know, we're never going to mention Triple H during the WCW mayhem, so I might as well mention him now. <laughs> so, uh, Asia is just another knockoff of China. Oh, yeah, China, who was in a relationship with... <laughs> <laughs> It's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever. (laughs) How many references does it take to get to Triple H? Well, actually, to be fair, considering the card, not many. 
they've all had run-ins pretty much all the top superstars have all had run-ins with the cerebral assassin mm. I don't know I'm struggling to think of any epic Triple H Disco Inferno matches oh, no, no, no. okay so it's time for our fifth match of the evening Kurt Hennig taking on Buff Bagwell where the loser must hang up their boots interesting yeah powers that be have problems with Buff Bagwell and for some reason they're picking on Kurt Hennig as well now so they had this stipulation where if he got pinned he had to retire they show him losing lots of matches but without getting pinned he wrestled Goldberg and Goldberg made him tap out to a submission submission specialist Bill Goldberg hooks his first submission move ever in his life (laughs) perfect can lose without retiring they rolled that clip before they properly explained the story. So Tony was like yelling, he did not get his shoulders pinned. I'm like, the submitting's much worse, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and then the, the count out as well. Yeah, yeah, and he got counted out in the world title tourney. Buff Bagwell. I love his theme song. Buff Daddy! Buff is the stuff. What's your impressions of Buff? He reminds me of Steiner, that sort of, I'm a big guy, yeah, and I'm going to come here and I'm going to ruin you, basically. I don't like Buff Bagwell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what there is about him. So his theme loops, because you know, he's got battered by Jarrett, and then Jarrett and the Harris brothers come out instead, and they jump Kurt Hennig. The bell rings! Like it's the match. Yeah, where's Buff? Yeah, where's Buff? <laughs> he then eventually turns up, no selling the attack from Jarrett in creative control, runs to the ring with a 2 by 4 to fight them off, and then Perfect jumps him to get the advantage. This match is just a lot of punches and kicks, and Hennig using Buff's necklace to choke him. He then kicks... Bagwell square in the nuts on the outside, and again the referee does nothing. Tony Schiavone calls it good officiating. No, it's not. There's a disqualification, and he didn't call the disqualification. Mm. Rhetorical question for Tony Schiavone, but Brain actually answers. Who will hang up their boots? Boy, I wish it were you. <laughs> you can feel the hatred. Have you ever not have on this match here? Did you see Nick Patrick's mustache? Yes. Like somewhere in between porn star and pedophile. Yeah. <laughs> Buff prances but misses a knee and gets cradled for two. And then suddenly out of nowhere he hits a buff blockbuster to end this match at seven minutes and forty seven seconds and to retire Mr. Perfect. Who at the very least sells it like his career is actually over. He takes the moment with the fans and stuff. And he gets a standing ovation. Although you could see there are a bunch of empty seats on the hard camera. Yeah. They give him about 15 seconds. Bam, cut to another interview. This guy's just lost his career. His livelihood. Yeah, retired. Considering this was supposed to be a career match, it was just very, very dull. Very, very heatless. Just punching and kicking. Very uninspired. Didn't enjoy the match. No. No, it was, like you say, it was very uninspired and just... Just wasn't interested. This was one of the two matches that didn't interest me. And the second one is coming up. 
Only two? Yeah, only two. But don't forget, like, I'm watching this for the first time. Oh, so I suppose, I, yeah. I have to be interested and... Open-minded. Open-minded, knowing that I'm, I'm coming in to do, obviously do this podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, this was the first match that I actually kind of went, oh, come yeah. on. <laughs> I wasn't a fan of the match. Mm. We see Mike Tenney backstage interviewing Sting. He says it may be Brett's home turf, but it's still showtime. So this is what you're saying about Sting turning heel and not quite working. Mm. Never felt like his heart was in it for me. No. Five matches after the opening semi-final, we have our second semi-final in the world title tournament. Brett the Hitman Hart taking on Sting. Brett walks out in a Wayne Gretzky jersey, and he gets a big pop, but I didn't think it was like really overwhelmingly amazing considering it's Canada. No, I mean, the biggest pop for me was when the camera moved to... There was a sign that said, this one is for Owen. Oh. And that got me going. And I was thinking, oh, that's cool. I thought Benoit got a bigger pop. Brett had only been back about a month or so. Yeah, Tony puts it over on commentary how much he's had to overcome in WCW. You know, coming in from the screw job, Owen passing away, not being a part of the championship picture yet. Sting is in a shirt and some pretty loose-looking leathers. It's really weird. I think it must be because he's injured, because he does disappear for a fair while. Yeah, Brett's running WCW. I mean, he's another guy they sort of famously squandered. I think, you know, they finally give him his chance, though, didn't they? Yeah, this is where you sort of see him really sort of valued as a upper echelon guy. So we get a slugfest to begin. Lots of eye rakes and walking and brawling. Sting with another bollock shot right in front of the ref. Ring the bell, give me a DQ for God's sake. Brett escapes a sleeper but gets kneed in the gut for a two count. That same spot happened in the previous match. Tony Schiavone says, Very technically sound match from both men. They're just brawling with each other. Sting misses a pair of stinger splashes. One on the announce table and one in the ring. But he drags the ref into Bret Hart's top rope sledge. And Lex Luger and Miss Elizabeth come out. He whacks Sting in the knee with like a slapjack thing or something. But Bret fends him off and puts him in the sharpshooter. The referee gets back up and he calls for the bell. And he DQs Sting for outside interference by Luger, I guess. Yeah. So like he missed the fact that Luger actually attacked Sting and he just saw Brett fending off Luger. It's like, oh, he's interfering on a part of Sting, I'll DQ him. But then mega mega babyface Bret Hart is annoyed by that and wants the match to be restarted. And the referee obliges. Brett winds up in the Scorpion Deathlock, but then he hits Sting in his injured knee and turns it into the sharpshooter to get the tap out. There's only like another minute and a half or so after yeah. the restart Heaton calls this the greatest win in his career and both men shake hands after the bell as we see Bret Hart win this match advance to the finals after 9 minutes and 27 seconds don't know what you make of this yeah I enjoyed it like you said though I, I don't see what the need for the, the restart was considering how fucked up this pay per view is why didn't they just leave it at, you know, Sting's out, Brett's gone through on interference. 
it would have fit in with the rest of the nonsense that's <laughs> that's been going on. I thought that they, they wrestled a very strong match. I like Sting. I like his no-nonsense attacking style. His costume did put me off a little bit. Mm-hmm. It is like he, because he's doing this heel half-hearted, I don't know, I think that comes off on his character as well. But yeah, it, it was a good match overall. A few nice spots here and there. It was quite clever near the end of the match, just before Brett got the submission win. They bring it up on the on the replay. He puts his leg into Sting's stomach, so he can't reverse it. And not to give it any spoilers away, he does the same in the next match as well. But yeah, he puts his knee in the way, so they can't roll over, which is quite cool. Ooh, I thought. Interesting. Personally, I was really disappointed by this match. Just a whole bunch of bland brawling. Felt like a really off night, especially for Sting, who mm. I guess was injured. Yeah, the the restart and just why was that needed? The resulting injury just allowed Brett to win anyway. Yeah. Not their best work for me. Well, I suppose you you've watched more WCW than than I ha- I have, so you could probably. Yeah, I suppose I kind of expect a bit more of yeah. Sting. Whereas me watching that pay per view for the first time, I was happy with that. Maybe watching a bit a few more down the line I may end up saying well actually <laughs> Brett wins and Mean Gene interviews his opponent for the final Chris Benoit he says it'll be an honour to wrestle Brett he'll truly press Brett's best there is best there was best there ever will be moniker I kind of get that okay the final is set now let's review Brett's, let's interview Brett's opponent but too many interviews on this show yeah it's quite interesting as well having two Canadians in the final for the title. Yes. Is that a plug that it's in Toronto? Or is it just that they? it's a coincidence? Mm. It's not the kind of traditional dynamic you'd have going in. You'd want mm. someone that you definitely want and someone that's like an antagonist. That you're mm. Like, okay, let's, you know, egg the crowd on a bit here. Mm. Speaking of interviews, Lex Luger... And Liz are with Mike Tanay, and he is wearing a neck brace. He's apparently already seen a doctor in the two minutes it's taken him to run away from Bret Hart. And he says he needs a brace until further examination. He says he can't compete tonight, but will write checks for every total package fan who is sad to miss out on him. I love this man. It just becomes farcical. <laughs> It's a deliberate farce, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our seventh match of the evening is a dog shit match. Sorry, a dog collar match. (laughs) Vampiro, with Jerry Only, takes on Berlin and the wall. (laughs) Do you remember that second match that I was telling you that... All right, you didn't care, (laughs) but yeah. I really liked Vampiro growing up. It's such a cool look. And, like, he tend to wrestle on like WCW Saturday Night and those lower kind of shows and they were the kind of matches that they show in full on worldwide so I got to see quite a bit of him Yeah. as opposed to just like clips of stuff from Nitro and Thunder like the bigger guys usually got yeah Vampiro beat Berlin in the championship tournament and then Berlin cost him in the next round against Bagwell I've not got a clue why it's a dog collar chain match though 
they're chained to each other by their necks as opposed to their wrists in a traditional chain match. This is another sort of Russo trope for me that I thought was pretty common. It's, it's stipulation for the sake of having a stipulation. Yep. Who's going to see Vampiro versus Berlin on a card and think, oh, I, I don't know, I'm not quite sold yet. Oh, but we'll, we'll make it a chain match. Oh, I'm there. Get me oh, there right get now. Get me the popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> I'm ordering this thing right away. Come on. Oh, God. As if things could get any worse. Out comes Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and Oklahoma. Ed Ferrara in a fat suit doing a Jim Ross impression. This is when I kind of contemplated, what am I watching? Do I need to watch any more? I don't blame you. This is just a terribly offensive character assassination against JR. I mean, Vince does a good job on WWF programming. We don't need it on WCW as well. There's Slabberknocker! Get me Dr. Heidi! So, before the match even begins, everyone brawls. Oklahoma joins commentary. Berlin tapes Jerry only to the guard whale, so the heels can double-team Vampiro. Oklahoma invents some sort of fake football credentials for Vampiro. Yeah, okay, Jim, Jim Ross likes people having a outside background from other sports. It just yeah. legitimizes them. You yeah. know, they've, they've done these other athletic things. It's not like JBL where you just shoehorning. <laughs> well, the cricket was amazing, Mago! It's fucking Usos versus Breezango. What's this? What's cricket got to do with anything? Come on. Yeah. Berlin orders the wall to chain himself to Vampiro instead of him. For once, I actually agree with Oklahoma here as he quips, Good God, somebody stop the damn match. Yes, 100%. Chokes on by the wall, who covers, and the referee actually starts counting, even though he's not in the match. Berlin pulls him off the cover for some reason, and they start to argue. So the wall walks out. And Vampiro, whilst not tied to Berlin via the chain, makes his comeback and hooks a chain-assisted camel clutch to get the tap out after four minutes and 57 seconds of absolutely bollocks wrestling. My only note for that match is, what the fuck was that? (laughs) Quite. That's it. That That is literally my only note. Dr. Death attacks both men after the match as well. This is supposed to be a chain match. The only two people who were ever chained to each other in the match were Vampiro and The Wall. And The Wall was never actually billed as being in this match. The action was shit. They hardly ever used a chain other than that submission at the end. Berlin and The Wall's fallout was totally nonsensical. And... To cap it all off, we had to put up with Oklahoma on commentary. I rated this match dog shit out of 10. That's how much I hated it. Anyway, we cut backstage and we see Scott Hall. It's rather woozy looking, I thought. Mm. Start of a few problems. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know about start. I think this is well, the thing. Yeah. Mid problems. Yeah. We've then shown a clip of Sid powerbombing the then-television champion Rick Steiner off the stage. Rick Steiner is unable to compete for his injuries. Hall's just 
awarded the championship. As you do. Much like Triple H was awarded the World Heavyweight Championship when it was. He deserved it though. He deserved to to be given that title. Why? He's Triple H. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Well, I walked into that one. <laughs> Scott Hall essentially lays out an open challenge for later on tonight for either of his championships. We then see Kurt Hennig leave backstage and he kind of like throws water over Conan. I don't know if that was deliberate. He like knocked him. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> fuck you. you. <laughs> Up next is our eighth match of the evening. It's the total package. Not Lex Luger, just the total package. Accompanied by Elizabeth. Taking on Meng! Meng is another one I sort of really remember as being a WCW guy. And when he turned up in the Royal Rumble 2001, it really put me off because JR kept calling him Haku. Like, oh my god, it's Haku! Because when Eddie and Benoit and Malenko and Dean jumped over, they didn't change their names. Yeah. Why has his name changed? Lex, despite his injury, has been ordered to still compete by the powers that be. And he, he's still wrestling in his neck brace. We've then shown clips of them beating each other up with slapjacks and costing them the tournament matches and stuff. Lex refused to strip off his tracksuit, so Ming just does it for him. Tony speculates that the brace of Lex Luger is merely to stop... Ming from using his tongue and death grip finishing manoeuvre. I love this. See, this is brilliant, like, cowardly heel strategy. Yeah. So you invent an injury to try and get out of a match. And then, even if you get put in the match against your will, you've got this device to protect yourself against your opponent's biggest weapon. Very edgy and Christian. Yeah. So as if on cue, Meng tries with tongue and death grip on Luger, and it has no effect because of the net brace. We then see Miss Elizabeth get on the apron. Meng doesn't pay attention to her whatsoever. And then when she gets off the apron, it's like he's suddenly interested in <laughs> yeah. her. Like, oh, what, what are you doing? <laughs> you missed your cue, <laughs> Meng. <laughs> Lex tries ramming Meng's head into the turnbuckles, but he no-sells it, and he actually seems to like power him up. They're like, no! Liz tries to mace Meng as he's getting choked in the ropes. But then she hits Luger by accident somehow. How on earth could you mess that up? And stuff like that. It's like simple stuff that you'd think you would get right. You still can't get it right. So, yeah, Lex is blinded. Because the heels are morons. After an eternity, Meng actually finally gets the neck brace off and pins him with a tongue and death grip in 5 minutes 23 seconds to win the match. Yeah, like I said, I loved this whole feigning injury and, okay, he's still in the match, but then he's still got something to protect himself thing. Like that storyline. Yeah. The match itself was bollocks, though. Yeah, yeah, I agree. There was nothing to the match. No. And I, then the the simplest thing that they needed to do, they messed that up. Yeah, for finish, just moronic. <laughs> We're getting there, Kyle. It's two-thirds of the way through. So it's time for Sign Watch. Lots of interesting signs, especially because it's mid-attitude era. Someone's had a sign saying, this is still crap. <laughs> Spot on with this <laughs> interview, spot on. 
there's then a sign, it must be a blatant plant. It's a WCW sign that spells what Canadians watch. Vito fears New Jack. Everyone should fear New Jack, he's a homicidal maniac. Really harsh one here. Medusa, fix your implants. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Somewhat questionable, borderline racist one here. Meng likes bananas. <laughs> bananas underlined. <laughs> Fucking hell. Wow. I miss Lodi. I don't miss Lodi. He wasn't in WCW <laughs> no. when I started watching, so... Saturn makes me sick. <laughs> we always had another spit take. <laughs> Saturn makes me sick. Shagger 316. Shagger? Shagger! It's shagging a thing in Canada. Maybe they just saw Austin Powers recently or something. Maybe, um, yeah. My favourite, really clever here. Welcome to Mengland. Like it. Yeah. And uh, one in close proximity to it, Meng equals ratings. <laughs> so it's a very split crowd on Meng. So you got the racist minstrel islanders like bananas thing. Yeah. And then you've got we love Meng. He's the best thing about the show. Last two here. Hall is drunk. I'm afraid. Spot on yeah, with that one. I'm afraid that could possibly be true here. And finally, <laughs> the, the coup de gras here. Goldberg wears women's underwear. Again, that could be spot on. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine Bill in a thong. Oh, no. <laughs> the sparks. <is> all... <laughs> <laughs> so we get a backstage interview with Bret Hart. He says he'll put friendship aside and somebody kind of like shouts off camera. Just like inaudible. <laughs> Interrupting the promo. Right. We then cut to David Flair backstage with his back to the camera. I assume we're supposed to think he's masturbating here. <laughs> but, oh no, he's just polishing his crowbar. Good one. <laughs> <laughs> Out next is Scott Hall, somehow looking even more inebriated than when he was interviewed backstage. David Penzer announces him as the television champion... By default. Woohoo! My two favourite words in the English language. <laughs> default. Default. <laughs> he promises Kevin Nash is on the way before laying out his open challenge again. We then kind of almost hear Booker T's music and then it fades away and then it actually properly hits again. So Booker T has accepted this challenge. Which championship was on the line? I'm not too sure because at this point everything's a blur and I'm thinking... <laughs> What am I watching? And also, it threw me completely seeing Booker team pants. Well, he always wore them when he was in Harlem Heat. But yeah, yeah, like when he, even when he first started as a singles run in '98, he still sort of wore the long pants as well. Actually, Harlem Heat was still kind of a thing around this time as well. It wasn't until 2000 he switched to the trunks. Because I, I obviously knew that he wore pants with Harlem Heat, but then I, in my head I thought, but when he was Booker T single mm. that was when the pants went you see this is back to what i was talking about how they were trying to make him look more like the rock yeah scott hall gives no fucks about the fact that it's not his gimmick and does a crotch chop before starting off with some sloppy arm work 
Booker T hits a nice kick in sidewalk slam. Hall really terribly mistimes ramming Booker T's head into the turnbuckle, only to sort of redeem himself with you know, that choke sidewalk slam thing that he does. Yeah. I really like that. And catching Booker T in midair with a fallaway slam. He then hits a really lazy spinning punch. Tony calls, How awesome is that? They're <laughs> like the least impressive movies hit the match. Booker T fights back with the scissors kick, spinner rune eye, and a Harlem sidekick. And oh, fucking Jarrett and the Jets come out again. Booker T fights off creative control, but then he gets on the ropes to argue with Jeff Jarrett. Leaves him way, way open for the outsider's edge, and Scott Hall pins him to get the free and retain. Whatever title. One of his, yeah, <laughs> some combination of his championships after six minutes and four seconds. Post match, Jarrett beats on Booker T, but then the lights go out. And when they come back on, a big black lady, apparently called Midnight, appears and helps Booker fend them off. I was thinking of Sting nowadays. So when the lights went off, I'm thinking, Sting. what's Sting doing? Yeah. What the hell's happening here? And then this woman appeared, and I was yeah. like, definitely what the hell's happening here? Anyway, this was actually a pretty passable match in my book. Even when he's absolutely sozzled out of his school, Scott Hall's way better than some of these jabronis we've been having tonight. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I really like Booker T. He should have been gaining way, way more traction than he did at this point in time. Yeah, I like Booker T. Old Booker T is definitely good Booker T. Or two, or three, or four. I don't know, he, he kind of wears off a bit. But I, I really like Booker T. It was an entertaining match to watch. We then see Luger is really furious backstage, and he's looking for Liz. Tony tells us, the search for Elizabeth continues for the total package. When did it start? Yeah. Shivani then makes me piss myself with these pair of lines. Up next, David Flair versus Kimberly. One of the marquee matchups here tonight. <laughs> yes, that's what everyone paid to see. Yeah. He somehow even betters that by saying, Kimberly, we didn't think she'd show up for something like this against a wild man like David unless she had a game plan. So during this, when the commentators were hyping this match up, oh, yes. this is when my second fan interaction happened so just behind them there's this guy that's getting punched in the face by another guy seriously? <laughs> just like just 12, 13, 14 15 and the guy's like staring at him going you know, you stop doing that now yeah. and he's just still going and it's like for the majority of the thing and then he stops punching him and then he starts sticking his finger in his ear oh, and he's like what? stop it and then he puts his hand over his face and then he continues to punch <laughs> him and he's like what the hell <laughs> it's just the weirdest thing oh my lord I just couldn't stop watching them I was thinking what the hell are you doing well you say that that's the weirdest thing this yeah, fucking uh, yeah. storyline coming up. <laughs> they run a video package for the David Flair Kimberly feud. That epic match that everyone is paid to see. Kimberly is in a hot looking outfit in a hotel. Apparently, it's to seduce David Flair. But then Ric Flair turns up and bounces on the bed. Like, woo, woo, woo. <laughs> so weird. Apparently, he spanked her 14 times. Wow. That combined with. Diamond Dallas Page apparently injuring Ric Flair sent 
David Flair on a downward spiral. Yeah, he injured Paige in their world title tournament match. And he started stalking Kimberly. Bam Bam Bigelow, who's still Paige's mate from their Jersey Triad tag team, he tried to help protect Kimberly. And somehow he failed. What a moron. David smashed some random car windows for some reason. He so, ran off like an idiot. Yeah. That was so weird. I'm going to smash these car windows down. Ah, I'm going to run away. He, he just behaves like a completely not idiot. <laughs> this storyline, oh my God. David Flair is total bollocks. Has to be like one of the worst, you know, next generation wrestlers ever. Yeah. Inherited none of his father's talent at all. It all went to Charlotte. Thankfully, yeah. yeah. Can you think of any other really, really crap, like second, third generation wrestlers? Sean Stasiak. Yes, he is stand the man Stasiak's son, yeah. He wasn't great. I, know, I can't think of anyone else that's been memorably shit. <laughs> like some of my top two like from TNA, which is probably why. So, like, do you remember the Aces and Eight thing they did? Yeah, yeah. So they had Wes Briscoe. I think he is actually the Briscoes, one of the Briscoes' son. Yeah. So you'd think, oh, he'd be pretty handy in the ring. No. Like, he had a match with Kurt Angle in the cage, stank up the joint. Wow. If you can't wrestle with Kurt Angle, you're terrible. Not only did the Aces and Eight have Wes Briscoe, they also had Garrett Bischoff. Eric Bischoff's son. Oh dear. They try to convince us he's a wrestler. Anyway, on that note, our tenth match of the evening pits David Flair against Kimberly. David Flair with crowbar in hand, the foreign object, not the wrestler. Kimberly does a sexy sort of stretch trying to seduce David Flair. Bobby the Brain asks Tony, Tony, give me a book, give me a book. She tries to hit. David Flair in the bollocks. That was so weird. With the low blow and he's just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because we see, ah, he's wearing a cup. He planned for this. He planned for the fact that the referee wouldn't DQ no (laughs) blows. Because it's not been happening all fucking night. He then whacks the referee with a crowbar. Everything's fucking fair game tonight, you know. But Kim then seductively removes his cup. She was going in for a blowjob and took the cup. Bingo. (laughs) But, yeah, totally tawdry CD camera angle. She whacks him in the nuts again, chokes him with the cup, and then more sort of tawdry camera angles as we get a shot down her top. And Tony goes, and a great angle for us as well. Chris Canyon runs in, tries to stop David Flair doing a crowbar attack, and he can't do it. So DDP has to come out and diamond cutter David Flair. The pages just kind of go away. They've had enough of the night. Yeah. This is apparently no contest. After four minutes and 55 seconds of utter shite, Arn Anderson then comes out to try and protect David. But then David Flair hits Arn Anderson with the crowbar in the back of the neck. I thought Arn Anderson coming out would bring a little bit of stability to what was a ridiculous match but no it just gets worse Arn Anderson then gets a stretcher job as they play off his you know he had to retire for neck injuries and all we got hit in the neck oh this was just the dirt worst 
You had this scumbag stalker angle where nobody comes off well. Like, who are we supposed to sympathise in this match? Not Kimberly, because she, like, played games with David and, you know, manipulated mm. him. Not David, because he completely went off the rails and beat up everyone with crowbars and nearly crippled Arn Anderson. So from this scumbag stalker angle, they then went and up the ante with an even bigger scumbag move, like, oh dear, Arn Anderson may be paralysed. Just to get over this, not even mid-card, not even lower-card, not even dirt-off-the-bottom-of-your-shoe card feud. <laughs> Honestly, it was the weirdest thing I've ever watched. Let's try and return to normalcy here. We get a video package hyping up the Sid Vicious versus Goldberg match. Goldberg beat Sid at Halloween Havoc via blood stoppage. Sid tried to doctor a tape of the match or something to try and make it sound like Goldberg said he quit. So why not have an I quit match? This is blatantly playing off the Mankind Rock match from earlier on in the year. Yeah, just to reiterate, I love Sid. Goldberg, again, another really, really big star in WCW that I was like, oh yeah, I fucking love Goldberg. The handling of Goldberg post-winning streak, perhaps a bit suspect, I don't know. Yeah. You think they've kind of shot themselves in the foot a bit there? Yes. Do you think Nash was the right guy to beat him? I just think it was the wrong situation. I don't think it's a case of who would I put in that place. I just think it was it's the wrong time to have done it. Right. The best thing to do would have been to put somebody who wasn't over with the fans, wasn't already as big as Nash, and you've already created yourself a superstar. You could have had maybe Ben Water take... Goldberg streak or something along them lines. Mm. 11th match of the evening, an I quit match. Sid Vicious versus Goldberg. Bobby the Brain here, he warns us, we could be here all night, maybe till spring. I don't see either of them quitting. That is a threat and a half, that is. So oh, It's a shame that it doesn't live up to that. In the sense of it going on all summer and all spring. Yeah, well, well like Goldberg matches traditionally over in a flash yeah. anyway. So, early goings, Goldberg hits a front power slam, and the fans chant Goldberg sucks. The Canadians aren't really into Goldberg from that famous angle they did with Brett where he speared him, but oh, I'm wearing a metal plate thing. Yeah. Sig tries a Cobra clutch and then turns it into the one and only. Billy Gunn's finisher. Tony Schiavone tells us, I'm sure you're going to see a lot of submission holds before this one is over. From two men who have like one submission hold between them. A pair of choke slams by Sid. He chokes Bill and tells the referee, Ask him! Ask him! It's not quite Jericho levels of Ask him! But still. Goldberg countered it with an armbar head scissor combo. The ref makes him break because... Sick was too close to the ropes or something. Yeah. Did he have a rope break in an I Quit match? No. So that's another fuck up by the ref. Yeah. Commentary really, really sell the damage done to Sid's arm here. Like, oh, he really knackered in there with that one. So then Goldberg gets a really crap Cobra clutch body scissors thing. 
has absolutely no focus on that injured arm at all, and Sid passes out, so Goldberg gets declared the winner. Mm. No, nobody says I quit. <laughs> Fuck you. So Goldberg wins in five minutes thirty seconds. Oh, this was just bad. You wouldn't expect these two to take advantage of the stipulation, and surprise, surprise, they didn't. Yeah, the ending was just pants. Yeah. Worthless match for me. The match was short, but we'd already discussed Goldberg matches are traditionally always short. Yeah. I always find it's really hard to do an I quit match with two big guys. Traditionally, if you're going to tell a story, the big guys take a long time before you I quit. You know, we, we've seen the I quits in WWF with The Rock, Triple H, you know. Their matches have, have gone on for, what, 30 minutes. So this just didn't seem right, being a short match and an I quit match. The logistics of it just didn't match. No. We then get another immediate 10-second jump cut to the backstage area. They can't give anything room to breathe. They can't focus on anything for any amount of time. Mean Jeans with Lex Luger. Liz is still nowhere to be seen. According to Lex, she's been hiding from me all night. What about when she was ringside with you in your fucking match? <laughs> she knows she screwed up and she should watch her back tomorrow night. Mm. So, much like the Disco Inferno Mafia situation, here we've got an instance of using the pay-per-view to promote something that you've not paid for later on. Yeah. We're finally here, Kyle. It's our main event of the Woo-hoo! evening. The finals of the World Championship Tournament... Chris Benoit versus Bret Hart. Another little production thing they nicked from the WWF here. They show both guys walking up to the curtain on their way to the ring. When Benoit was walking backstage, you, you can see in the background Lex Luger scurrying away from oh, his interview. <laughs> I'm trying to get the fuck out of there. <laughs> it was brilliant. It's a very respectful match for start. They shake hands. They both try and attack each other's arms. There's a massive sunset flip attempt by Chris Benoit that's just too close to the ropes and that cues them both trying to get on their submission holds respectively. The early goings, Brett appeared to be out-wrestled by Chris Benoit so he switched to brawling instead. What the hell? It looks like that ICP dude from earlier is back and he attacks Benoit with a Canadian flag. Ding, 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 DQ. Go home. Good night, folks. It's over. No, nope. no, nope. ref does not all. I don't know, for me it doesn't seem right, that whole section. The match would be better off without without that happening. Exactly. Like, the face paint kind of wears off or something, and, oh my god, it's Malenko! Let me get this straight. Malenko went to the trouble of paying off some guy to attack him in his match just so that he could dress up as the same guy so that he could attack Benoit in his match. Again, a pointless part of a story that just seems ridiculous. Yeah. But considering the events of this pay-per-view seem also normal. That's the thing with this style of booking. You overload it so much, people get kind of desensitised to it. It's like, oh, okay. Malenko tried to cough Benoit the title. Boo, I guess. Yeah. Brett fights Malenko off, and then gets a great power driver on Benoit for two. 
that's his cue to then start working Chris Benoit's neck. Benoit makes a comeback working over Brett's back, but he gets cut off with a DDT for two. Amazing bit where Benoit whirls out of a backbreaker attempt, hits a tombstone, and then the flying headbutt. The commentators call that the coup de gras. Wow, I've never heard it called that. Yeah. When he's done the power driver, they go, oh, Benoit going up for the coup de gras. Oh. And I, as soon as he said it, Finn Balor pops in the head. And I was thinking, wait a minute, what? It's a headbutt. Yeah. What? Here come Hall and Nash. They're so slow on their running, Bret Hart has to kick out of Benoit's finisher yeah. before they can get before the referee can pull the rest. Yeah. Jesus. Nash was going to hit Brett with a chair. Goldberg comes out and spears him. Goldberg's out now. So many people coming out here. It just completely messes with the story. Too much interference. A new referee comes out, and for some reason, they put a split screen up between the actual match and Goldberg brawling with the outsiders. Who cares about Goldberg and the other lads fighting outside? This is a really nice match here. Fans just can't concentrate on it whatsoever. No. Brett comes back with his typical comeback routine, his backbreaker, superplex, sidebrush and leg sweep, but his knee is still too hurt. And some fan throws a drink at Chris Benoit. I know. What a prick. Benoit floats over from a suplex and gets a pair of his German suplexes, but his dragon suplex gets blocked. So he tries to go for the crossface instead. But Brett spins out of it and hooks the sharpshooter. And that eventually gets a tap out. So Brett Hart wins his first WCW World Championship after a hard-fought 17 minutes, 44 seconds match. And he does the little trick again before the tap out. Yeah. And he puts his leg onto his chest so he can't roll over. It's neat, that. I quite quite like that. What did you make of the match? I enjoyed the match if you take out Goldberg and the Outsiders. Yeah. They completely distorted the match. It didn't make any sense when they were in the match. Other than that, Brett and Chris, they worked really well together. And there was really nice spots. Power Driver and the Coup de Gras, Air Canada, Headbutt, whatever they're going to call it. Mm. That was really nice. And it was a good finish. Easily the best match of this pay-per-view for me even with uh, outside interference detracting from it. I just love the fluidity of these guys' tactics. Like, they both start off trying to go for the arm. Then that doesn't work, so they just revert to brawling. And then they get some spots with the back, and then that doesn't work, so they go for the legs instead. And mm. It just flows so well when you've not got these dickheads interrupting them. I thought it was great to have two men... Neither have been world champion in WCW at this point yet. They were fighting for the championship here. Gave it a, well, in the context of WCW, a slightly fresher feel here. Yeah. It's not, you know, reverting back to Hogan or reverting back to Nash or reverting back to Savage, you know, someone who's already been there before. It's like, yeah, okay, we know what's coming here. Nice to have some quality wrestling. Yeah. Brett and Benoit hug post-match and Brett waves a really battered-looking Canadian flag. That looks like it's been in a war. Well, it's probably seen this show. Yeah. <laughs> it's been dissolving throughout the pay-per-view going, oh. <laughs> That finally wraps things up for the <laughs> evening. What's your general impression on this show? 
Kyle? Any standout performers for you? Yeah. Ben War proves that he's, he's got it in WCW. Early Booker T, really like his style, yeah. his stance. And I quite enjoyed watching Brett. For me, Brett was always the guy who I'd just missed out of. Yeah. So obviously I came in 98, mm. Brett had left by then. And he, so he was never anyone that I was interested in, but you know, people would always say to me, oh, Brett Hart, you want to watch Brett Hart stuff. So going back to watch this pay-per-view... You know, I was able to see Brett wrestle, maybe not at his best, but, you know, he's still got a lot of potential at that time. His heart probably wasn't in it quite as much with Owen past, mm. but with this match with Benoit here, you saw a really good example of him at his best in WCW. Mm. But overall, I would probably give it a 6 out of 10. Wow! And the, re- the reason for the 6 out of 10 is the wrestling. If you take the wrestling out, it doesn't even get a grade. Take Brenoir, Bret Hart, and Booker T out of there, and that's that shouldn't even be a pay per view. Mm. I mean, it was poor, and they're the guys that I watched that kind of rescued it for me. I'm with you here. I wouldn't be quite as generous as you. There were just really long stretches of the show that were just utterly useless. I didn't think it was all that bad to begin with. Decent in-ring action hampered by wacky booking. And then it just fell off a cliff. Just so much wrestling going on that you should be utterly ashamed of yourself. Having come into wrestling at this point in time, I always have a soft spot for Car Crash WCW. But my era of Car Crash WCW is more of a sort of mid-2000 kind of thing. It was bad. But it wasn't like head in your hands bad. It was like, oh, get the popcorn out bad. Yeah. This, at points, just made you kind of lose faith in life. Yeah. <laughs> really. There was a couple of times where I thought, I may just turn this off, you know. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame you. There's not really any sort of good, clean wrestling fun here where there's nothing involved, no sort of outside extraneous circumstances holding things back so opening match the Harris brothers and Dustin Rhodes interfere guitar shot not a clean finish for the cruiserweight title match Medusa and Marinara involved all through the match the chair shot thing fucked things up not a clean finish the hardcore title match well Jimmy Hart's always involved I suppose it's kind of clean in the context of the match but still the elimination tag match. Douglas distract the referee. Not a clean finish. Hennig versus Buff Bagwell. Clean, but a heatless match. Brett versus Sting. Restarting because of interference. The dog collar match. Fuck right off. <laughs> Package versus Meng. Liz interfered on behalf of Lex. And ran away. And ran away. <laughs> Hall versus Booker. Jarrett in creative control. Out again. Not a clean finish. David Flair versus Kimberly. Technically didn't finish. <laughs> what the hell? Sid versus Goldberg. Clean. Yeah. But still a shit match. Yeah. And then Brett versus Benoit. A clean finish, but still, you had the outsiders. You had Malenko. You had Goldberg. I totted this up by my count. 
counting every individual person as a spell of outside interference, we had 29 instances of outside interference in this show. Wow. That's not needed. There were probably more instances of outside interference than there were individual competing in the matches in total. Just baffles me that they think that that would work. If you dare go and watch this show after our not-so-wonderful recommendations here, maybe you should watch Benoit's matches and the six-man tag match to get a sense of the kind of potential that was still in this company as far as the ring work goes and to get a sense of how they were being held back from what they could achieve. You could also think about watching this pay-per-view if you wanted to get a sense of rock bottom and it could only get better. (laughs) (laughs) I'm quite happy that it's not totally sullied you on WCW. Your impressions of this show sounded a bit more generous than I thought they'd be. I went into it with an open mind. Yeah. I'm never going to be fully over with WCW because it's not my thing. I enjoyed it for what it was, which is all you can ask for. Yeah. I do promise, though, if we go back to WCW, we should go back to, like, their real hot streak. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I don't want this to be your lasting impression of the company. There's plenty of stuff we can watch from 96 and 97 that I think really give you a sense of what's going on there. So, on that bombshell, it's time to bid you adieu. We hope you've enjoyed the car crash of the show here. It's been great to just talk about WCW and what I had to put up with as a WCW fan. Hell of a lot. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I can't believe how much of it I was so ignorant of when I was a kid. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast. That's probably the easiest place to keep a track of all of our news and things in upcoming episodes. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Or come find us on SoundCloud and follow us there, TNW Podcast. It's probably the easiest place to find all our episodes. There's a big playlist that I've made of every episode we've had so far, including my guest spots on the Raw is Nitro podcast, which I also fully recommend. We're also on Facebook if you give us a like. And be sure to look out in the near future for the blog edition of this episode as well. As I mentioned, we'll go through that ridiculous World Championship tournament in full. So, it's a goodbye from Kyle. See you next time, guys. And it's a goodbye from me. See ya. <laughs>